This is waves. This is Neptune. I actually have a a friend, a, a, a really old friend who's a a really thoughtful guy who I've heard him often say when he meets someone new, what do you do that's interesting? And it's such a, it's such a, it like really, it's such a great question because it really draws attention to maybe you're not going to talk at all about your job or what you do for money. You're going to talk about what you like and what you're excited about. I'm Jason, and I started the musical project Neptune many years ago. Uh, I began first making musical instruments, and that led into a performance that became a band that is Neptune and has continued and has seen multiple iterations and, and different members and a lot of different versions and instruments and shows and travels and records. There's a couple ways that I arrive at sounds. Sometimes we're writing music and I think about a sound that would be nice to add to a song and I have an idea for how to construct you know some object maybe it's an amplified spring or maybe it's an electronic device or whatever to make the sound fill the particular gap so that's one way that it happens but another way might be that I just find a sound a lot of times I, I pick through trash and I balance objects on the end of my finger and flick it with my index finger and see if I can get any resonant tone out of it and if it's something that some piece of scrap metal or something that sounds nice I might add a transducer to it so it could be amplified and then you know bring it into practice and now it's this new sound and sometimes that will inspire a whole song that, that there is this sound. This is the just the sawed off bottom of a gas can and this is a metal bucket then I thought about how best to to capture and use that sound and so in this case we're dealing with a vibrating steel or ferrous membrane essentially and and so that's an ideal thing to use an electromagnetic transducer or guitar pickup for because you don't get a lot of room sound you just get the vibration of the steel so underneath each of these there's actually a guitar pickup built in
one of those. This is one of those instruments that's kind of has such a specific sound that we we use it for one song, and then it seems sort of done for us. So it doesn't occur a lot. I'd like to be it's strange to me what people consider to be bad sounds, or like how people can react to dissonance. It's a really good word for for what it's describing, but it also has a negative connotation. My name is Mark Parison. I play guitar and electronics, and I've been in the band since 2001. I really like overtones, and I like hearing two tones kind of grinding together. I think that's really soothing. But again, it kind of goes back to me not really knowing what consonance is anymore or key or any of those <laughs> other words. I mean, when we play, we are there's no discussion of I mean, I can't even use the term note, you know, I mean, cause I just intuit what I think would be right for the atmosphere of what we're working on. Um and create a figure based around it and then create variations on that. I had a band before Neptune where I played a normal guitar and we had a demo cassette <laughs> that was, uh, I, I remember that it got reviewed in the back of The Noise and the, whoever reviewed it called it a perverse opposite of music, which I felt pretty proud of. <laughs> but I studied art and so I started making instruments in college. I made a few instruments and then I thought, well, maybe I should do a performance with these because they were interesting sculptures and they actually made sound. And so I got a couple friends together and then we were going to do a performance using these sculptures. And I thought it would be, you know, like a performance of 
kind of pretending to be a band, but it was more musical than I thought it was going to be, which I attribute to my friends, my these excellent musicians that, that joined me at first. They actually coaxed some great sounds out of the instruments. And then we started getting shows, and then it was a band. And for a long time, I felt like I was disguising things, or I felt like I was kind of doing this performance wherein I was enacting the role of a rock musician. But eventually, I stopped being the copy of the thing and just became, I got so interested in the sounds and the music that it's the actual thing now. Though it's a funny, weird version of it. The first music that really did it for me, this is my this will be my big moment monologue here. I grew up in a subsidized housing and uh my brother sold pot and he loved classic rock. Um he loved the police, Led Zeppelin, music that I found entirely alienating. I could hear ego before I could hear music when I heard that stuff. But at the time, I just thought I hated music because that's all I had. I could just hear the records of my brother would crank, like Judas Priest and, uh, you know, uh, trying to remember the name of that band. You're going to laugh when I come up with it. Leonard Skinner. Um, like, stuff like that. I mean, he, that's, that's what I knew, and I knew I hated music. But anyway, uh, one day my brother was selling pot to this young man who's dressed like b-boy style and you know all i know is i my i didn't know what was going on all i know is the door to my brother's room would close it would start smelling like trees on fire and a dude would leave and i'd hear like terrible music emanating from his strange smelling room Uh, and when this fellow left he dropped a cassette behind him and i was like all right this guy looks cool I'm going to see what this is. And I took the cassette and I popped it in to a tape deck that I had in my bedroom. And the first song I heard was Grandmaster Flash's Scorpio. Um, I don't know if you know that song. Uh, And that is the most definitive moment of my life right there. That's when I heard music for the first time. It encompassed everything that I liked. It was musically, it was very cold, great funky but robotic movement to it and on top of it there's a harsh but ethereal voice that didn't sound human you know because he's using a vocoder but he's saying the most human things on earth he's saying show no shame he's also saying shake it baby but i you know i didn't it it was such an otherworldly experience for me and from then on out i understood that my distaste for music, what I thought was distaste for music, was actually a passion for music that I hadn't heard before. Show no shame. 
Well, here's a radio s interrupting sequencer device. It steps through four radio signals from these little transistor radios and allows them to pass one at a time. And it can do that looping in a sequence, or it can do that, I can trigger it with an external device. We're incorporating it in a rhythmic way in, a, in these very fixed little hits and spots, but it's essentially random chance material that we're writing into the composition. I would say like maybe a major influence for how we compose songs would be derived from Terry Riley's In C. So I'm going to play that for you. And In C is a piece that he wrote. Um, it's kind of a chance piece. If you're a musician in the band, you're given sheet music that's 53 small phrases of varying lengths. There's a pulse that he calls it, two octaves of C being played on a piano. And it calls for any kind of instrument. It could be a percussion instrument, a horn, anything. Your role as a musician playing the piece is to get through all 53. You can start and stop them at any time. They have to go in the chronological order that he has set out for the piece. But you can play one just once, or you can play it for infinity, and then you just have to eventually get through them all. And what happens during that piece and if people are really intuitive improvisers is they'll lock on something together they'll realize that they're creating like something of rhythmic complexity that really works at the moment but then someone will move on and i think that's something we apply in composing our songs I think a, a huge question for any artist is to consider the audience and the venue by which one's art gets shown. In my early 20s, I was really interested in music, I was really interested in performance art, and I didn't know, I, I felt sort of pulled in a lot of directions. and. I tried some experiments and, and one was starting a band and another experiment I tried was I used to live in a loft and we did performance art night and we did that every month and it was sort of like an, an open mic night. We did it for four years and, and it was quite popular in this like underground loft scene and people would just come and, and perform. But ultimately I felt I wanted to work with existing venues and subvert them to my own means. I felt like that was a more effective use of my time because it's so consuming and taxing to have to also not only think about your art, but how to fabricate the, the venue and the event all the time. If there had been more of an infrastructure, if I could have like gone on tour as a performance artist and not earned a living, but had a 
be a little bit more sustainable. You know, maybe I would have done more of that, but instead I decided to disguise everything as a rock band and do the performance art that way. Yeah, I don't I don't have a preferred venue. I mean, cuz we've played anywhere from like a boats, we played in a bus while it was driving in Orlando. That was crazy because there's a guy in California, he had a band called The Minor Forest. He has a mobile police station that he does shows in. It's a huge bus-like vehicle. The rear of it is two stories, but it just goes all the way up. Like you'd probably, you'd probably have a holding cell back there, I'm not sure. But that area is just a performance space. So the bus will pull up and do a show. Well, he left it in the hands of these folks in Orlando and they had asked him, hey, can we do a show with it? And he said, yeah, go for it. Um, what he didn't tell them is that he normally parks the thing when he has a show because if you're running electricity and you just have rubber wheels leading to the ground, you're ungrounded. So if you can imagine standing in a bus just hands-free while it's moving and balancing yourself, that's, it's actually not very easy, right? Well, you put a 65-pound steel guitar on you and try and play while any touching of the sides of the walls electrocutes you. Um, it was like a, like a lab experiment. I mean, there was some hilarious moments seeing Jason get his face shocked while he's... And, th- and then we're moving, too. So, like, he's trying to sing and then falls over, you know, like that. And, uh, no, like, we're literally, like, we had to strap in all of our gear. They got a professional bus driver. So that's a guy who had, like, a history of driving a bus. And they picked, like, a very straight route um, through downtown Orlando. And, uh... We did our set, and it was funny. Yeah, we're falling over. Our, all of our equipment is, like, bungeed or taped together. Uh, and it was still falling over, and people were grabbing it for us. It was fun. It was absolute chaos. We're playing our last song, and I realized we were sitting at this red light for a while. Uh, and then we, we finished, and everyone's, you know, clapping, and we're done. We can see the blue and red lights flashing off buildings we'd been pulled over um and the bus was driving through orlando without the headlights on emitting like these huge gusts of uh, vegetable oil smoke because it was a converted engine diesel engine and um there were 65 drunk people on it and They couldn't find the registration or proof of insurance on the vehicle. And the officer that pulled us over didn't feel like messing with that paperwork and just let us go. Episode.
Podcast.com. <laughs>